0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, if you are joining us today uh, specifically to uh, see our kids program, we're glad that you're here. And just so you know, we've been preparing ourselves for uh, the Christmas season the Christmas celebration by reflecting on Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11 and the the theological truth that Paul describes in that passage of how Jesus came to earth uh, to to be born as as an infant and came uh, at that first Christmas and the fancy theological word that we have that is used that is the title for this sermon series is the word incarnation which is that word that is meant to summarize all but it means that Jesus was born on earth for us and yet as astounding as that theological truth of the incarnation is in and of itself and it absolutely is uh, it is not much of a truth it's not much of a comfort if It is simply a truth of Jesus' birth. If all we have to say about Jesus is that he was both fully God and fully man, and he was born on earth as a child some 2,000 years ago, that is a nice story. It's maybe comforting and sentimental, but if that is all he did, we don't have very much of a story. If he just taught and told parables, which he absolutely did, but that was it, then really Jesus is no different. He's no better than anyone else who has ever lived on this earth who has started a religious movement. If while Jesus was on the earth, he performed healings and miracles, well, that's significant. Not everyone can claim to be able to do that. We have to explain that somehow. We have to come up with some sort of category to be able to place Jesus of Nazareth within. But if that is all he did, it is not all that significant to us living today. Maybe it mattered for the people that saw him do those miracles. Maybe it was significant for the people that were miraculously healed. But what does that matter for us? You now if our Christmas celebrations are going to have any real significance beyond just sentimentality, we have to have the entire story of Jesus. We have to remind ourselves that he was not only born, but what he was born to accomplish. If I can borrow a phrase from Paul Harvey, and I don't think he would mind, we need the rest of the story if we are going to be able to truly celebrate Christmas. Uh, we cannot truly have Christmas if we do not have the cross and yet i also understand that saying we can't have christmas without the cross can sound like a pressing note. i mean here it is this nice lovely sunday morning the kids have been doing a great job leading us in singing and now i'm going to walk on stage and say hey just so everyone doesn't forget jesus does one day die. it kind of introduces a sour mood into things at least it would seem. i mean reflecting on the death of jesus is supposed to be reserved for good friday. it's not supposed to be for christmas. The preacher Tim Keller used to say that if you could imagine the happiest group of people imaginable, maybe you could picture your family sitting around uh, having Christmas dinner, enjoying one another's company, laughing and talking for hours on end, or maybe it's sitting down with a group of friends and catching up and reminiscing and the joy that is a part of that. If you could imagine the happiest group of people that could ever be together that you have ever been a part of, that the reality is that within that group no matter how great things are in that moment there's one person in that group who in all likelihood will experience the death of every other person within that group and I tell you that just in case you're looking for some material to talk about with your family at Christmas here in the next few weeks if you want to wait for everything's going great everyone's having a good time you can just say hey while we're while we're enjoying one another's company let's speculate about who's going to get to attend everyone else's funeral that might be something you want to do but guess is you will not because it doesn't seem to fit the proper perspective you're supposed to have at Christmas. So even though mentioning the death of Jesus at Christmas might sound like a depressing note, uh, I do think it's essential. I think it's necessary if we are actually going to make sense of the rest of our Christmas celebrations. As odd as it might seem, we cannot have Christmas without the cross. Over the course of this series, we have been reading our passage together uh, each and every week, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, and then focusing in on one specific part of that passage. So if you would join me, the words are going to be up on the screen. We're going to read Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, and then focus in on what Paul has to say in verse 8, if you would join me. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus We began this series two weeks ago by looking at verses 5 and 6, where we saw that Jesus gave up his status as the Son of God in order to come to earth for us, which sets an example for us to model relationships with one another. And then last week, we looked at verse 7 and saw what that actually meant, how Jesus made himself nothing, took on the nature of a a servant, and was made in human likeness. And we're going to look at verse 8 today, which continues with that thought out to its logical to help us see why Jesus actually came to earth last week we saw Jesus made himself nothing he came as a servant but verse 8 shows us just how far Jesus went in lowering himself he not only came to earth to live as a human being but he went even further by submitting to the purposes of God all the way to the point of death on the cross he not only came in humility, born in a manger, but he lived on earth in humility throughout his entire incarnation. And for the Son of God to humble himself to the extent he was willing to come to earth for us, I think significant enough. And my guess is that if you or I were in that position, we might have some bargaining terms if we were going to humble ourselves in that way. You could maybe imagine saying something like, yeah, sure, I'll go to earth, I'll become a human being, I'll what you want me to do but I'm going to need some perks thrown in along the way first off born in an era of history that has air conditioning and running water I've seen the grand scope of history I can see how life will be better once that happens let's just put it off until then I don't want to be the first born in a family I've seen enough parents to know they make all their mistakes the first child so I want to be the second or the third that way they've got things figured out a little bit I want to be born into a family uh, that's stable, that's healthy. I want, I want a couple that's been together for a long time. That way life will be smooth for me, especially in those early years. If they could have a, a, a nice nest egg built up so that my life will be secure, that would be nice. They don't have to be royalty, but you know, if they were, that wouldn't be a bad thing either. That is how I want to come into the world. And yet we find nothing like that from Jesus. We find not only did he make himself nothing in coming to earth, but that humility, that emptying, continued throughout his entire earthly ministry, even to his death. Human beings, we tend to have a need to be humbled. We tend to be people who think we're pretty impressed until someone points out that we're not. And we are humbled in that way. And I think it's so interesting that what Paul says here is that Jesus humbled himself. He did not have to be humbled. He willingly did it for us and calls us to follow his example. And that has something significant to teach us. Remember, Paul is not writing the letter of Philippians as a detached theological treatise. He is writing these words to people he knows, to people he's ministered to, he's worked alongside, he's invested in. And for that reason, he chooses his words intentionally. So if he's emphasizing for his readers and for us the humility of Jesus and how significant that is and how we're supposed to model that example, there must be a reason why he is giving all of this teaching. And we seem to get a clue into why that might be later in this letter. At the beginning of chapter 4, Paul names two ladies in the, in the church of Philippi. He names Euodia and Syntyche, and he tells them to be of the same mind in the Lord. We're not getting the entire story, but apparently there's a disagreement between these two, and Paul corrects them by saying they are to be united in the Lord. I don't know about you, I've heard plenty of sermons in my life. I've never heard a preacher stop in the middle of his sermon and say, I've got two people specifically in mind that this applies to, so if you've fallen asleep, you need to listen up. It might be more interesting if I did, but I'm not not that kind of person. But apparently that's what Paul does here, and he he, his words make it into the New Testament. I don't know how Euodia and Syntyche felt about this. My guess is not good that they've been shamed publicly for all of history, as long as we read the New Testament. But that's what Paul does, and I draw our attention to that verse because it gives us a hint into why Paul spends so much time focusing on the humility of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. To people who are divided, to people that may be having a hard time getting along, be selfish and fighting for their own way Paul points to Jesus and he shows them and he shows us that we will find no answers apart from taking on the example of our savior because he is nothing like our need to be humbled he has humbled himself he came to this earth surrendered to the will of God renouncing any claims to a he might have had the right to claim so that he might sacrifice himself to us as he was obedient to the point of death. That's what Jesus has done for us and that's the example he calls us to follow. And if that surprises us a little bit, I think it probably should. The incarnation cuts against how our world tends to function. We live in a world that seems to place a high priority on on self-care and making sure our needs are met and cutting out people who don't build us up or whatever it might be, and act well and good as far as it goes. I'm not here to complain about that, but in a world that focuses on those things so much, the message of the incarnation of Jesus is foolishness at best, at worst, outright ranged. I mean, imagine just sitting down and explaining the bare facts of the incarnation. It's not a deal anyone really would seem all that willing to take. Imagine you sat down with your best friend this week and said, hey, I've got a great idea for how my New Year's resolution for 2024. I'm going to start the year by giving up all of my wealth. I'm going to sell it all. I'm going to give up everything. I'm going to go from the life I currently have to living in abject poverty. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to live on the street for a year. I'm going to start teaching and traveling around and speaking, and, and while I'm doing that, people will start to follow me. I might, I might gain a little buzz, a little fame along the way and something like that. But at, at the end of the year, I'm going to make some enemies. I'm going to have some opponents along the way, and, and they'll start to start to scheme against me to try to get rid of me, and eventually it'll get to the point where I get arrested. And when I get arrested, all the people that have been following me are going to abandon me, and then I am going to die. I'm going to die for, for the people that have abandoned me and also for the people who are putting me to death. What do you think? How do you think my 2024 is going to go? My guess is people will have some questions. My guess is there will be people who will say, are you sure? Do you think you've thought this all the way through? Don't you think there's a better way to use your time and resources? And yet what I've just described is exactly what Christ has done for us. If Jesus were posed with questions like, are you sure? Apparently he would have responded, absolutely not because he was willing to pay the price, even the price of death on a cross. We might grow pretty accustomed to talking about the cross if we're around church because we sing about it, we talk about it, we read about it. I'm standing underneath one right now, but we should not move past it too quickly because the first readers of this letter would not have done so. Even when you read these words, it's almost as if Paul himself can't believe what he's saying in verse 8 when he says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to then he almost has to pause and exclaim again, even death on a cross. It's not just that he died, it's not just that he gave up his life for us, it's that he meant to the extent of dying on a cross. And you might know this already, but if you don't, death by crucifixion was one of, one, if not the, most demeaning and painful ways to die humanity has ever concocted. You're taken out into a public place. You are stripped of your clothes. You're nailed to a piece of wood. You're subjected to public shame and mocking as you slowly suffocate to death. A process lasts for multiple days. It was what the Roman Empire did to people that had tried to rebel against them and failed. It was done as a public statement to say, this is what happens when you mess with Rome. This is what we are capable of, so stay in line. It was a punishment reserved for the lowest of the low. If you were a Roman citizen, it was not legal for you to be hung on a cross. In fact, it, it wasn't even proper for you to, to think about it, to talk about it. it was not the kind of thing to bring, bring up in polite society. The Roman philosopher Cicero once wrote that the very word cross should be far removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. It was too disgusting, it's too gruesome, it's too dark. It was best for the Roman people to just not think about it at all. The Jewish people didn't have much, anything much better to say about it. In Deuteronomy 21, in verse 23, in the midst of a discussion about capital punishments and justice and things like that, the statement is made, anyone who is hung on a pole, which the Jewish people in Jesus' day would have taken to also refer to dying by crucifixion, anyone who is hung on a pole, anyone who is hung on a cross, is under God's curse. That is how anyone walking by Jesus of Nazareth, dying on a cross would have thought. It is at best a shame, it is at worst a demonstration of God's curse upon him and anyone who would associate with him. Jesus did not pass peacefully in his sleep for a good long full life. He was brutally humiliated and tortured. He was executed as an enemy of the state. He was viewed as under God's curse. And yet when Paul looks at this scene, he sees and he wants us to see something very different yes jesus died a brutal and humiliating death but actually that's something to celebrate it's not god's curse it's actually god working out all of his purposes completely jesus hanging on a cross is not a failure it is the greatest success the world has ever known that moment where it would seem that Jesus is completely defeated and all of his enemies has, have succeeded is actually the moment where the enemies of sin and death that have plagued humanity for all time are defeated once and for all. This is not God's curse. It is Christ's complete commitment to the will of God being acted out to its logical conclusion. It's this final stage of his of himself, taking on the form of a servant, dying death reserved for the lowest of the low it's his commitment to God's will that brings about this suffering and death and yet through this all Jesus is faithful to what God called him to do he didn't come to earth for his own success he came so that in his death we might have life he came so that by him being obedient to God's purposes we might be conformed to, the, to, to his image he came so that by seeing his display of humility, we might love one another as he has loved us. He has taken on our state fully so that we might be redeemed in life with our God now and forever. The writer of Hebrews puts, us this, puts it this way, chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. He says that since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus has entered into our suffering more deeply than we could ever imagine on the cross. He has shared in our humanity and was not defeated by it. He has entered into death so that death does not need to be feared any longer. He was made like us. He could high priest, the one who intercedes for us before God. He has died as our sin offering so that our sin might be dealt with. He has suffered and overcome that suffering at his resurrection so that our suffering will never have the last word. He's been obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we might be called his. Christmas is absolutely a time for sentimentality, for gathering those we love and being grateful for what we have, for giving one another gifts, and you should absolutely do those things over the next few weeks. Yet Christmas is only able to be the beautiful day that it is because of the entire story. Christmas is only Christmas because of the grace of God that has been displayed on the cross. We can enjoy the blessings of this time of year because Jesus has given up himself for our sake. He's entered into our plight we might be redeemed from it he's been obedient to god's purposes the purposes that god had set in motion from the very moment sin entered the world so that we might move from being orphans to children from being his enemies to being a part of his royal family jesus has done all this for us even when we did not deserve it we're only able to celebrate christmas because of the cross and when we look at the cross when we look at all the pain and suffering that is present there, we see where our pain and suffering is undone. It's in Jesus experiencing injustice on the cross that we can have hope that God will one day make all things right in ourselves and in our world. It's in it looking at Jesus giving himself for us that we can know that we can give up ourselves for others. It's in his death that we can have hope for our redemption into life with our God. It's in who he, it it is in him, the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us so that we can experience the grace of God. We don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, and yet Jesus comes to us, obedient to his Father, giving up himself so that we may have life. That he undoes all our wrong. At the beginning of the story of Scripture, God places Adam in the Garden of Eden. He tells them to work it, to enjoy it, to partner with him in ruling over and caring for his creation. Yet he gives them the command not to eat from one particular tree. He says, if you eat from this tree, it will bring you death. And yet instead of being obedient to God's command, Adam and Eve take for themselves the eat from the tree. And the selfishness of the human heart and the brokenness of God's creation is the result. The disobedience of one man to the will of God brought harm and suffering to all. On the last night of his life, he was also in a garden. And in that garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to his father. He prayed that he would be delivered from his suffering. He knew what was about to happen over the next few hours. He prayed, Father, if there is any other way for your purpose to be accomplished that don't have to involve me going to the cross, I want that option, this is too much, I can't handle it, I don't want to do it. Is there anything else we can do? And yet he ends his prayer with the most important part of all. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. And the only answer to that prayer he receives is a mob coming to arrest him and take him to his death. This is the will of God for us. The disobedience of Adam in a garden brought pain to all. The obedience of Jesus in a garden brought us the healing that we so desperately needed and could not find for ourselves. His death has brought us life. His suffering has made grace more available than we could ever imagine. And that's what Jesus has done for us. This is the length Jesus has gone to for you. And this is why we can celebrate at Christmas. We can celebrate because we've received grace we did not deserve because Jesus entered into death for us. He submitted to the will of God so that in his humble service we might be set free. He's done for us what we did not deserve so that we might have a life. So whatever your Christmas celebrations look like, I pray you would be humbled by the grace of God. The God that has come to us in humility the God that makes all of our celebrations possible. Celebrate as you absolutely should with all that you have because God has has come to us in his son, Jesus, and he's been more gracious to us than we could ever imagine. Celebrate through serving others because the one whose birth we celebrate has served us. Whoever you are, experience the grace of God this Christmas. If you're coming into this season dragging know that the grace of God has come to sustain you and to free you. If you're weighed down by pain, by suffering, by failure, the grace of God is stronger. That baby born in a manger has come to this earth in humility, ultimately to die so that we might be set free. If you are carrying sin and shame this morning, if you're wondering if it is even possible for God to love you, I am here to tell you absolutely that He does. If you've wondered if you've done too much, if you've gone too far, I'm here to tell you that you have not. If you've never experienced the grace of God, I'm here to tell you God desires you to have it, so give up life on your terms and step into life with Him. So if that means passing through the waters of baptism, do that today. If that means repenting of sin and fest- to God or to someone else, do it before you leave today. If that means asking for prayer, asking for someone to walk alongside you, find someone who will do that with you before you leave, because Christmas means nothing without the cross. But when we look at the cross for all that it is and all that it means, we are transformed by the grace of God and brought into the life that he's created us to live. Let's pray. We thank you We thank you for the grace you've given us in the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the life that is available to us because of what Christ has done for us. God, we ask that during this Christmas season you would be glorified as people, that we would hone our attention first and foremost on who you are and what you've done for us, and that from that we would move out in the world as your people in love and service and humility so that you may receive the glory and honor that is worthy of you for all time. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.